turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. This is a very interesting passage. One where we could kind of look at it in a, in a way and I, I think overlook some other issues. We can look at it just from a, a standpoint of looking at it just from the aspect of Saul. And I, I don't want to do that. The, the book of Acts is a account of the early church. And so we want to take a, a little bit uh, broader view of what's happening here in Acts chapter 9. Um, but I think without Acts chapter 9, uh, you'd be missing something. You'd be wondering how you have this, this man who is a, you know, opposed to the church, and all of a sudden now he's a proponent of the church. And so... If you don't have this passage, you, you lose that, that context of uh, what's, what happens in the early church. Um, I would, so I'm going to read through the entire passage here, and then we'll, we'll go through the passage. So Acts chapter 9, I'm reading out of the New King James Version. It says this, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples, of the Lord went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said to him, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembled, and he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul rose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord had said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him, and so, that he, so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who are called on your, call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laid his hands on him. 
he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, whom appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul And they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road. He had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walked, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Let's pray. Father, we again thank you that we can open up your word. Uh, Father, I pray that um, as this has been an encouragement to me, uh, help it to be encouragement to those who can uh, hear here this morning. Father, we, we are so thankful for your mercy on each one of us. That you care for us each individually. Father, we can clearly see from Saul that you love every one of us no matter what we do, no matter what we could do. That your son, Jesus Christ, has paid the penalty for the sins that we've committed. So we thank you for the saving grace that you've you've given us, that free gift through faith. Father, help me this morning as uh, I teach from this passage to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're just joining us, we've been walking through the book of Acts, right? Looking at the biblical record of how God started this thing called the church how it spread from the Jewish people to the Samaritans. Eventually, we'll get to how it spread to the Gentiles. The church that started on the day of Pentecost, that 50 days after uh, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, when the Holy Spirit came down from heaven on the church. Since that time, the church was growing. We can read from Acts 2.41, 
says this, those who gladly, re- gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. That's the day of Pentecost. The church was started with 3,000. But as we continue in Acts 4.4, 4, it says, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. But if you keep going to Acts 6, it says, Now in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplying, there's growth in the church. In Acts 6, 7, it says, The word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. But the early church was not without its problems. Not without its problems both externally and internally. I don't think we focus on this enough, but there's... There was persecution from religious leaders. Acts 4.3 says that the chief priests tried to lay hands on the disciples and put them into custody. But it wasn't just that external. There was internal. There was sin in the church. Acts chapter 5 talks about Ananias and Sapphira trying to lie to the Holy Spirit. We also had internal conflicts. Acts 6. Verse 1, right? There arose complaints against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. But they weren't just fear for imprisonment from the outside. Now there was an open murder of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Then in Acts chapter 8, we get to this man, Saul, who we're going to look at this morning. It says this in Acts chapter 8, verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. This is the backdrop of our passage this morning. We're going to look at the passage from a, a different perspective. We're going to look at it from looking at the three men that are involved, Saul, Ananias and Barnabas. Now there's others who are involved that are unnamed. We'll talk a little bit about that. But I want to look at, as we go through this passage, think about these two questions. How God works in people's lives. How God works in people's lives. And how God uses people for growth, for growth of the church. You see, again, <clears throat> Luke, while he's writing Acts, he's, he's accounting the early history of the church. He's not accounting early history of people. And so a lot of times we can be focused on just Saul himself. But I want to focus it from the aspect of the church. So as we look at Saul, I've broken this up into sections. So the first section is verses 1 through 9. It's really the Lord Jesus Christ uh, making himself known to Saul. (laughs) Have you ever felt a person is beyond God's reach? I mean, do we instantly judge and say, I shouldn't witness to this person because they won't listen? We've all run into that person that we feel in some ways... I'll confess, I've felt that way. But this passage in Acts is a great reminder of us not to take, not to try to take the place of God. Right? Jesus Christ told us 
He told the disciples in Matthew 28, 19, and it goes to us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to choose or try to choose who is or who is not. But let God determine that. I'm pretty sure there were several people in the early church who looked at Saul and said, he's the last person we would think to become a believer. Yet in God's grace, that's what we're reading this morning. He is the one who is openly making havoc of the church. The ESV renders it, he's ravaged the church. He's openly at war against the church, taking people to prison, actively seeking to send more people to prison. As we open this passage, right, he's breathing threats against the disciples, threats and murders. He wants everyone of this way to be taken, taken and put into prison. He's very zealous for, for uh, Judaism, and he thinks that this uh, sect is going against what God wants. So he seeks to, see, to round up those of the way. I think that title is very interesting. It's very exclusive, right? The way. Not many ways, but the way. Um, just thinking about that, the exclusively, exclusivity of what Jesus Christ said, saying that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We do not claim to have exclusive soul rights to God. God himself is the one who claims that. That's why we teach it that the only way is to have faith in Jesus Christ because that is what God himself has said. <clears throat> but look, he's not only looking to, to grab men who are of the way. He says men or women. He's looking for anyone who's of age to take them off to prison. He's very ruthless in his tactics. Uh, probably what great pain and suffering he has, he has caused in the past. But we can see how God in His grace comes to him. Saul is going on his way. And I was thinking at this, as it says, as he journeyed. And as we typical journey, I'm usually not thinking of anything in special. It's very a mundane thing to be traveling. So I, I kind of was thinking of Saul as he's sitting there and he's traveling. He's, it's probably a very mundane thing. Nothing special happening. But that changes in an instant, right? He goes from this very mundane traveling and probably thinking about nothing to having a conversation with Jesus Christ himself. Right? It says, suddenly a light shone from heaven around him. The light of the world stepped in. Stepped in to intervene to intervene in his life. This happens in men's lives today, doesn't it? That Jesus Christ steps in. Through the Holy Spirit, he convicts men of sin. And he changes us. He gives us a new life. 
It's interesting that Saul's response here is he's, he, he's afraid and amazed at what's, what's happening as he has this conversation with the Lord Jesus Christ, I wonder what he's, what he's thinking. The God of the Old Testament was a God of judgment. And I wonder if he was thinking in his head, am I going to be judged right here for the actions that I've done? Because the Lord Jesus Christ plainly says that he is persecuting him. He is going against him. Yet he doesn't judge him. He he just says to him, Arise and go to the city, and you'll be told what you must do. He's left wondering, wondering what will happen. Those who travel with him, they heard but did not see. There's no record of them understanding this account, changing their behavior coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. They may be the same men that try to kill him in Damascus later, wondering why the, this man could so easily go from hating the church to uh, being a proponent of Jesus Christ. And as he, as he gets up and he goes to see, he can't see, so he has to be led by the hand. The humiliation of that, having to be led where he was going, had to make him think. And then it says he he was three days, he neither ate nor drank. He was thinking, thinking about what the Lord, what he had done, probably thinking in his mind about the passages in the Old Testament talking about the predicting the Lord Jesus Christ coming. Again, he has this, everything he's ever lived for has been questioned, has been turned upside down. Everything that he knows, everything that he's wanted to become, he's been a, he's been a, you know, in the school of the high priests, in the, trying to be a Pharisee in that Pharisaical group, wanting to be a religious leader of the Jewish people, and now realizing that everything that he has worked so hard for is in vain. And now, having to rethink what these passages mean in the Old Testament, who is Jesus Christ, and having to face the reality that he was going against the same God that he wanted, that he wanted to serve. So Saul's left there to think and to pray and to have God teach him. And so he fasts, he doesn't eat, he doesn't drink. But he waits on the Lord. He's waiting for him. He probably had a lot of questions. Interesting conversation he probably had with the Lord there. Then we turn the page to this, to Ananias here in, in verse 10. 
So 10 to 17 talks about Ananias. And I thought it was interesting that in the book of Acts, there are three Ananiases listed. Uh, The first one is Ananias and Sapphira, the one who was a believer in the church, yet lied about selling his property and died. Uh, We have this Ananias spoken, and then we have Ananias, the high priest, at the end of Acts. And, you know, that name, Ananias, means whom Jehovah has graciously given. (laughs) God graciously sent Ananias to Saul to show God's grace, didn't he? I really like Ananias. He's not a guy that we know much of, right? We only have verses 10 through 17. He's, un, he's rather unknown, yet he has some great qualities about him. Uh, the first one, he has a willing heart. He has a willing heart. <clears throat> God calls him in a vision and just calls his name. and He says, here I am, Lord. The simple response awaiting the Lord's instruction. I just wanted to think about that this morning. Do we respond that way when the Lord calls? Now, it's probably not an audible voice, but maybe through another believer, he has said something. Through his word, he is talking to us. We know that he can speak through his Holy Spirit. Do we have that willingness to listen? The same willingness as Ananias has to say, here am I, Lord. And then the Lord reveals what he has shown Saul and directs Ananias where to go. He talks about his ministry. Sorry, he reveals where he's supposed to go. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. And he reveals to Saul that Ananias is going to come and heal his eyes, his sight, and restore it. Ananias, he has some concerns, doesn't he? He's like, I have heard. I have heard this of this man, and I'm, I am concerned. And, and maybe it's out of fear, or maybe it's out of, uh, if he goes there, he's now going to be associated with, with Saul. But he, he brings his concern to the Lord. And I think it's okay to, to ask God, or to bring our concerns to God. We know at other times when people question the Lord that He has judged them. So I think it's important that it requires the right heart and attitude as we question God. I think Ananias is just questioning his concern about this man that he's heard that is opposed to, to the church. And so it's probably out of fear that he's like, you, you, really, you really want me to go see him? I like how God gently responds to him. And God gently responds to us at times. He gives him a very simple command to go. It's a very simple command to go. But he takes the time to explain why he should go. Do you notice that? The command is for Ananias to go, but he says, look, go because this man is a chosen vessel. It's a revelation of how God sees Saul. He sees him as a chosen vessel. He clearly indicates what Saul's ministry will be. He's there to bear my name. 
He gives clear direction on who Saul will minister to. He says he'll minister to the Gentiles, the kings, and the children of Israel. Again, this is all revelation to Ananias, not to Saul himself. And then he, he gives clear indication that Saul will have to suffer for his name. So God, in his compassion, simply responds with the simple command, but also provides an explanation of why Ananias should go. And so this man, in, his, in faith, follows the Lord's command. He went his way. Sometimes the Lord chooses to reveal his plans to us. Other times, we have to step out in faith. Here the Lord fully revealed what he was doing. And Ananias had to have faith to trust God over his instinct for self-preservation of life. His instinct of thinking his own thoughts and thinking that his way would be better. He had to obey God. And he trusted God. So I just ask myself, and I'll ask us this morning, how many times do we let ourselves get in the way of obeying God? Our thoughts, what we think, as opposed to stepping out in faith and trusting God, that what He has told us is what He wants. So Ananias, he enters the house, and he lays his hands on Saul. Now this is six times in the New Testament it talks about the laying out of hands. I guess I want to be clear this morning there's nothing magical about the touch, but it shows that connection in action, right? So he's connection to the words. So he lays on his hands and says, "Brother Saul, receive your sight." I think Ananias had a the spiritual gift of healing. In 1 Corinthians 12.9, it says, To others, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. But it's not just a, a physical healing, right? But it was also spiritual when he laid his hands upon him. It says he, received his, he said to, for him to receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's a a physical act and a spiritual act being done at this time. So I'll ask the question, why did God choose to have Ananias do the work? God already appeared miraculously to Saul on the road. He could have healed his sight miraculously in the same way. could have had him come to disciples in a miraculous way. Why choose to have somebody else interact with him? I think that's the important part here, that God has chosen us to do his work. He wants us to do his work for him. Ananias is someone who listens and obeys the voice of the Lord and does God's work for him. Today, we do that same thing. God is asked us to do his work for for him, to spread the gospel, to care for others. 
to use our spiritual gifts for the edification of the church. That's why I mentioned the spiritual, I think Ananias had the spiritual gift of healing. Because I, I think there's a, this aspect of as we go through the book of Acts, you can kind of look at each one of these characters and kind of look through the rest of the New Testament and see, hey, they either exhibit this teaching that we have or this spiritual gift that Paul talks about later. So the next section, uh, Acts, uh, verse, the verse 18 through 26, talks about what happened after Ananias had it. So it says, Immediately his eyes, something like scales, fell off, and he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. I think it's important that we see right from the get-go that Saul had a changed life. The first action he does is not to go feed. Remember, he did not have food or water for three days. Yet his first action that he does after receiving his sight is to get baptized. To identify himself with the Lord Jesus Christ. To identify that he had died to his old self and risen again in the newness of Christ. Old things had passed away for him. And he was becoming a new man. Then he receives his food. The time of fasting is over. And then lastly, we see that he preached the Christ. He doesn't stay silent. He he immediately goes and starts to proclaim the good news of what he's learned. That Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. That he is the Messiah, the long-awaited one for Israel. What a testimony a changed life has. It says here that all who heard him were amazed. They, weren't, they were amazed partially because of who this was, the one who came to, to destroy this, this teaching. But now he's preaching it openly in the synagogue. As he's teaching, right, it says that Saul increased the more and more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus. So he, he's successful in proving that Jesus is the Christ. Think of the encouragement that would provide to the church there in Damascus. The ones who probably were afraid. Ananias already said, we have heard that he has letters to come and take us to prison. They were afraid. But now he speaks boldly. Not just boldly, but in a way that Others can see that Jesus is the Christ in a, in a way that refutes uh, those who are, are choosing not to accept that Jesus is the Messiah openly. So openly <laughs> that they try to kill him. They're afraid of what he's doing. Like I said, it may be the same men that went with him. We don't know it. The Bible doesn't record who wants to kill him, but it says day and night they guarded the gates. So they have a plan. These same disciples that were afraid of Saul showed their love for him by helping him escape. I was just thinking, like, 
They let him down in a basket. Did they have to buy the basket? Did they borrow it? Um, had to be pretty big. Uh, you know, there had to be some rope. Did they use a pulley? There had to be some people who actually had to physically lower Saul down. Right? They had to do some physical labor, physical work that had to be exhausting. We don't know if Saul was a big man or a little man, but I can't imagine trying to lower someone down in a basket, uh, how much effort that would be. Uh, And if you look, no one's named who did this work. They did it silently because they wanted to out of love. Just think about here around the chapel. There's physical labor that happens throughout the week, throughout the years. The chapel stays clean. There's people that have to come in here and do it. I know from my own house that if you don't physically put in the work, it doesn't get clean. The projector, the lights, this microphone, everything's working week in, week out. Sometimes there's a lot of effort over, over the week to try to make sure that it's working correctly. Those who minister to the children, and it's not just a spiritual work upstairs, but it's a physical, sometimes an emotional work to invest in these children. So think about that as we think about this early church and how they work together, that there's this physical aspect to church life in working together. So as Saul leaves Damascus, he tries to come into fellowship with the disciples in Jerusalem. And we see here that as he tries to join, they're all afraid and do not believe that he is a disciple. Fear and unbelief are two weapons that Satan uses on us today, isn't it? to prevent us from getting the work of God done. We can be afraid of the future, persecution, rejection by others. We can be worried about others' motives, preventing us from fellowship with one another. We can choose to not take God at his word instead of stepping out in faith. The disciples are afraid, but yet we have this, another one mentioned on the scene, Barnabas. Verse 27, Barnabas comes on the scene and says, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Doesn't seem like any mighty work, right? To bring someone to somebody else. Do you think Barnabas had fear of what would happen? It's interesting that he doesn't say that he got a revelation from God doesn't say that he heard from anybody else. I think it's one of, one of Barnabas's traits that he has, that he, is, he sees the best in people, right? That's how he is. And so he's always trying to draw more of that best out of people. And so he goes and he gets Saul. But he doesn't just bring him to anybody, right? He brings him to those who can judge accurately, Right? We've already seen from, the, from, the Holy, from Acts chapter 5 that the Holy Spirit gives 
The Holy Spirit gives confirmation of what's happening. So you can see that he sent those to judge accurately. And those who could validate, right? Bring Paul into fellowship of the church to the apostles. So they validate. Paul himself gives testimony that he had seen the Lord on the road and he had spoken to him and how he preached boldly in Damascus by the name of Jesus. This is probably the shortest summary that Paul gives of his testimony here in the scripture. Later in Acts, he gives two more uh, testimonies of how the Lord revealed himself to on the road at Damascus. But here is the shortest, just how the Lord revealed himself. And then his changed life, how he spoke boldly in Damascus. Well, they bring Saul into, to fellowship. It says that he was with them, and he was coming in and out from them. And so we have this, this action in church life. Even today, we've come together in, and we will go out to the world. That's very important for us to do in church life. He spoke boldly. He didn't stay hidden there in Jerusalem. He spoke boldly. And because of that, the brothers protected him. Notice it's not, this, last time it said Saul learned that there was those who wanted to kill him. This time it says the disciples heard, or the brethren found out, and they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out. And then we have this testimony as those who helped Saul. We have this testimony of the church. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they multiplied. What a great testimony of seeing from one man's life changed, seeing how the church works together to brought peace, edification to the body, to build each other up, to walk together in the fear of the Lord and walk together in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So I ask you to think about these two questions, how God works in people's lives and how God uses the church. So how God works in people's lives, these are some thoughts I was thinking of as we did this. God is the one who saves but uses us in his work. He is the one who saves, but uses us in his work. Other imperfect people are used to help us grow. Ananias and Barnabas, they weren't perfect people. The disciples there weren't perfect, even in Jerusalem or uh, Damascus. But they helped Saul grow. Our changed lives are a powerful message. Our lives before Christ to our lives now are a powerful message to a dying world. How God uses the church. He uses different people with different abilities to minister as needed. I like this passage, I believe it's in Romans chapter 12, talking about uh, how we work together as a church. 
No, it's 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 12. It's 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. It says this, There is diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There is diversity of ministries, but the same Lord. There is diversity of activities, but the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Just thinking of these different men who had different ministries, different ways, that, different activities that they had to do. But it was for the profit of all. The other thing I highlighted is there's physical labor to be done as well as spiritual in the local church. And working together promotes growth. You see, as, uh, as we look at this passage in Acts chapter 9, we can see that as the different believers work together, the church is multiplied, promotes growth in the local church. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, help us as a local body of believers to work together. Help us in our use of spiritual gifts. Give us wisdom in how to encourage one another. uh, Encourage one another in our spiritual walks, but also encourage one another to use our spiritual gifts. Father, we we thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit to help us. We, if we were left to our own thoughts or strengths, we would we would fall short. But we are so grateful by your by your just mercy on us in knowing that in through our weakness you are made strong and. We, we know that we are imperfect beings, but we serve a perfect God, a perfect and loving Father who desires that all men come to repentance, that all men come to know Him. Help us as we go this week to be encouraging one another, to be uh, bold in our witness to to a dying world around us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.